0: I'm Zibby Owens, and you're listening to the award-winning podcast, Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Thanks so much for listening to my podcast. If you like what you hear, please follow me on Instagram, at Zibby Owens, and also at Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Thanks so much for listening. Enjoy it. I am so excited to be partnering with Rockets of Awesome, which is one of my favorite places to get kids clothes. They had a pop-up in New York last year, and we would go and jump in the ball pit and buy clothes, and it was great. And now um, they're offering listeners 20% off of their Rockets of Awesome box, which comes four times a year with like a magical box of clothes that'll come and surprise and delight your kids because what's more fun than opening up a box of clothes? Well, I mean, I guess maybe a box of toys, but anyway, um, Rockets of Awesome is amazing. Go to rocketsofawesome.com books and the discount code is books and it will be live August 1st and I hope you enjoy it and I'll be doing the box right along with you. The interview I did with Betsy Carter was really special to me. When I was growing up, Betsy Carter was like the author that my parents knew and always referred me to. And she and I had this really nice relationship. And I always used to send her my writing and she would be really encouraging. And it's just a total mentor to me. So it's just so great that this has all come full circle. And now I get to interview her for this podcast. So anyway, it's really our relationship has meant a lot to me. And it's an honor to get to interview her. Betsy is the author of many books, including The Orange Blossom. Special, and her book that just came out now, Lost Souls at the Neptune Inn. I loved her memoir called Nothing to Fall Back On, which was a national bestseller. She was a contributing editor for Oh! The Oprah Magazine, wrote for Good Housekeeping, New York Magazine, and a million other publications. She was previously an editor at Esquire, Newsweek, and Harper's Bazaar, and was the founding editor of New York Woman. She currently lives in New York City. Welcome, Betsy. Thanks for coming on Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Pleasure to be here, Cindy. Sorry, we had to re-record this a minute ago because I forgot to press record. So I'm going to say again what I said a minute ago, which is that this is so exciting for me to be interviewing you because you have been like a lifelong mentor to me. And have been the one that my parents sort of gave me as the shining example of what it meant to be an author. And you gave me hope that it could like be a profession and all the rest of it. And you helped me with all the stuff I'd written my whole life and have just been like just so supportive of me and have meant so much. So I just wanted to say thank you and how great it is that now I get to interview
1: you here. (laughs) Well, I just wanna say that you were somebody who was talented from a very young age and I recognized that and it was very exciting to watch you grow and look at what you've become. It's really thrilling.
0: Oh, thank you. Well, why don't we start by talking about your latest novel, Lost Souls of the Neptune Inn. Can you tell listeners a little about what it's about and then what inspired you to write it?
1: (laughs) Well, that's a good question. Okay.
0: So what it's about is
1: what people, what lengths people will go to, to find a home. And in this book, there are several characters who've sort of been tossed out by their families or for some reason or another left home. And they're There are several lost souls who come together, find each other, and even in extreme situations, and even though it doesn't seem a perfect fit, they they get together because they cling to each other for a home. And it takes place, It's well, gosh, it ranges from the 20s to the 80s. And my two main characters, one of them has a child out of wedlock and is really kind of almost disowned by her parents. And another one, she lives in New Rochelle, New York, and the other main character is a Southern lovely man who has had a very difficult childhood. He has been different from everybody else, and he makes his way to the North after kind of a horrible situation. Something traumatic and horrible happens to each other, to him, and they find each other. And he falls in love, basically, with our main character's daughter. Her name is Alice. He falls in love with her and decides that this could be his home. And Even though it's not a perfect fit, they get together and they get married. And it's really kind of the story of the evolution of that kind of relationship, making a family where there really is none. And what happens even when it threatens to fall apart? Does the family stick together or does the family, you know, go to pieces? But that's really the short form.
0: And how did you come up with this idea? You've written many novels and an amazing memoir. Why this topic and why now? Okay,
1: two reasons. Okay, the first reason is that the female character, Amelia May, is born and is a colicky baby. And for some reason, her mother, who is Catholic, decides that she is the devil's child. And this came about, and this was really the impetus to write the book. Several years ago, and if you bring up the memoir, it'll come out then, <laughs> I went through a really bad spate of luck, and I was seeing a therapist at the time. And I walked in one day after many calamities had befallen me, and I said, oh, my God, my house burned down, and everything in it, you know, all my all my possessions are gone. And she said to me, I want you to consider this. I want you to consider that you are a very bad person in a past life, and that you should find an exorcist in New York. You should have an exorcism. So I started out wanting to write about a person who is inhabited by the devil and needs to find an exorcist. And I kept writing, and then I realized I was writing The Exorcist again, and that really, nobody needed to read that again, and so I cleared <laughs> off a bit. And the other impetus, frankly, was that I was married to a very lovely man for 17 years, and after 17 years, he Decided, or maybe he knew all along that he was gay, and it ended the marriage. And for me, it was quite shocking. I did not see it coming. We have remained friends. In fact, he, you know, he's he, we're very close friends, but it was a very shocking and surprising event in my life. And I realized as time went on that when we were growing up, it was very hard to be gay, and he yearned for a normal life. And I was a kind of normal person he could hang on to and I think he saw in me in normal life. And so one of my characters is not him, but is based on a character that is dealing with the same issues. So it was a combination of the exorcism and the gay husband that brought me to this novel, if that makes sense.
0: It makes sense. Who yeah. knew? What interesting ingredients to throw <laughs> together, right? <laughs> and this is how great fiction comes to be. Yep. Use what you have, right? Use what yeah you have. <laughs> Wait, back up again to the therapist telling you you needed an exorcist. Mm -hmm. How did you respond to that? Did you go get an exorcist? Did you fire your therapist? Did you think it was a great idea? Like, how did you, (laughs) what did you? That's
1: also an interesting question. I stared at her and I said, and I was really upset. I mean, you can imagine. I said, "Mm, you know what? I'm going to pretend you never said that and we're just going to move on. And then I never came back. But then shortly after that, I got diagnosed with breast cancer and I saw another shrink. And I kept saying to her, you've got to find me an exorcist. You have got to find this. I really do have to have an exorcism. And then finally, after I had a mastectomy and I was going through treatment, I realized that was the exorcism and I was done with the exorcist part. But the poor therapist said to me, I've never, I've never had to handle a situation like that. I had no idea what to say to you, but it went on and on and on about me needing an exorcist. So I know what it feels to feel inhabited by the devil and search your life and think, what did I, what must have I done in a past life to deserve this?
0: I hate that that happened to you because it puts the blame on you for all these things that were out of your control. Like that's like the worst thing, like that it's something you did in a past life. I I I feel like that, like you couldn't think of something worse to say than, than that. And when someone's gone through like, a series of horrific things like maybe we should just back up again <laughs> and talk about the memoir and all the things like what were like the list of the key traumas um, all of that you went through if you don't mind just reliving all the awful stuff in your anybody, past somebody
1: tells me that they've read the memoir or they're gonna read the memoir I just apologize right away it's I like, loved
0: the memoir now I'm blanking on the name of course now that we're I'm talking all that nothing to fall back on it was so good it was so good
1: it just was a series of very bad luck. Let's see, I had a terrible car accident where I got all my teeth were knocked out, and my upper and lower jaw were broken. I had to have a hysterectomy at a young age. My house burned down. My husband was gay. I got breast cancer. I'm the oh, my mother died. It was all, but all it was all of a piece. You know, it was all in a very short amount of time. So when I wrote the memoir, it was really. In a way to exercise all that too, so exorcisms have been a part of my life for a long time.
0: So, do you feel like the combination of the physical exorcism of the breast cancer plus the memoir did the trick completely? Yes, pretty much.
1: I mean, I still have some, you know, residue, bad dreams and stuff like that. But yes, it was, it was, it really was helpful to do that. And I also, I wrote the memoir knowing I wanted to write fiction, and I thought, man, if you don't write that first those things and those characters will keep reappearing. And so I wrote the memoir to get rid of, I mean, not to get rid of my wonderful mother, but I knew she would show up in every book and I knew there'd be fire in every book. There was only fire in one memoir, I mean, in one novel. And these things really haven't shown up again in those characters. I was really able to put my family and friend characters to rest in the memoir. So and what
0: would, what would the harm have been in including those themes?
1: oh, I just have to relive them, and who wants to read a novel about a person getting her teeth knocked out? I mean, there have been hints that people have gotten a tooth knocked out, but I didn't go for the whole shebang <laughs> too much.
0: I get it. But it's so interesting because I feel like a lot of authors reflect back on their work and think, oh, huh, looks like I was working out XYZ issue, but they don't even know it at the time. And you were like able to see all the way <laughs> into the future that that's what you would think and then stop it from the beginning. It's really interesting
1: to know that that would happen, but it is what happened. Yeah. Um, and the thing about the memoir is I really had to do research into like I had to look at my dental records and I had to know I had to understand all my medical problems and I, I had not done that while I was going through it. So in a way it was like a cleansing in that you know and to know what I had to know.
0: So then when you approach fiction and you tell yourself that you're not going to include any of the exact stuff from the past at all and that you have a blank slate what's the goal? Like, what do you get the most out of writing fiction? Is it just the joy of the writing? Or if you're not like, what, what does it do for you?
1: I think what it, I I do like the writing of it, the publishing of it. Yeah, not so much, but the (laughs) the writing of it, I like a lot. And I, you know, I sounds stupid to say, but I'm terrible in therapy. I mean, I, if I were seeing a therapist now, I would say, I spoke to Zibby this morning. It was really interesting. You know, I don't, dig as deep as I should, but when I write, I do dig deep. Even if it's about another character, I have to deal with, well, how do you feel about religion or how do you feel about betrayal? Or, you know, and it's things that I don't seem to be able to get to other than through writing. Interesting.
0: Well, I'm gonna argue that maybe you haven't been saying the right therapist because <laughs> I know that one of them was totally wrong. So I'm I'm kind of questioning your taste in therapist, but <laughs> it's okay. You keep writing and then everybody gets to <laughs> To I haven't benefit.
1: seen therapists that have really done very well for me. So okay, good. Just okay.
0: Not to say that you don't seem totally together now. Obviously, <laughs> the end result is great. Now that came out wrong. <laughs> I understand. Oh, my goodness. Well, anyway, so take me through writing this book and, how, and contrast it maybe with some of your earlier works of fiction. How did it, did it just flow out of you? Do you outline it all ahead of time? Like, what's the process like? And has it changed over time?
1: Yes, actually, it's a great question. I always start with a character in my head. I mean, while I was writing this one, I also had a character in my mind for the next one. I have no idea where this character will go, but the, I know the character. And so with Lost Souls at the Neptune Inn, I had a character in mind. I had two characters, pretty much. The, the mother, who's not my mother, the mother who thinks her daughter uh, is inhabited by the devil, and the, the man who is, turns out to be gay, Dillard, I had those two characters in mind. And for the first time ever, I actually outlined this one. I'd never done that before. I usually just write and think, oh, well, maybe I'll go this way. Maybe I'll go that way. And my agent had been urging me to try outlining. She said it would be much easier for you and easier for, you know, just to write. And it was. It was a much easier book to write. Not everything that I thought was going to happen happened, but pretty much it did. And I pretty much knew where it was going to end, which I never know where anything's going to end. So I'm trying to do that with the one I'm working on now, too. But I've never done that before. I just start with my characters. And, and people say, oh, your characters must tell you where to go. You know, there's some sort of magical thinking about fiction writing. And the fact is, I come from a reporting journalism background. And for me, it's always like I interview my characters. You know, I interview them and I think, OK, so you're having this reaction. Why are you reacting so strongly? Or she said that to you. What are you going to say back? And it's very much to me, like they're reporting. And that's how I get to know them. You know, I get to know what are they wearing. I, when I worked for Newsweek, I, I started as a researcher and researchers at the time had to file for the writer. So you, I would have to interview you and I would have to describe what you look like and what you sounded like. And so I think that fed into the reporting that I do in my head for these characters.
0: And then, of course, you went on and ended up like running entire magazines and doing being a real leader in that industry.
1: I had to assign stories and you know, think of the questions to ask. So it was always that, yes, it was always that process.
0: And how do you, how just this is like not even related to the book, but having seen all of that with the magazine world and where we are today, (laughs) do you think there's any hope in, in magazines or what do you think?
1: I mean, I feel so lucky to have been where I was when I was. Yes, I think social media actually might just take another turn. We're seeing a lot of magazines online, but I don't know. I still, I I think that there could be a comeback. I think they would be very different. I don't even know if they'd be in paper, but I think the thirst to understand something in depth or to see pictures of people you don't know, I don't think that goes away. And I don't think social media can do it in the way that magazines can do it. I don't think it's something you curl up in bed with, you know, at 11 o'clock at night and just you and the pages and turning the pages and reading the text. I just think you can't, it's like, I don't know, do you read books on, on your iPad or do you read books on books?
0: I, it's so funny you say that because I got in bed to finish your book last night with my laptop, which I hate doing, but I didn't have, you know, with this time, not everybody's been able to get like physical advanced copies. So I've, in the last couple of months but have read more on devices than in my entire life and I like cannot wait to just chuck them. <laughs> I like real books so much more that it's easier for me to think and process and fold down the pages and go back and forth. And I don't, What about you?
1: Oh no, I so much, I mean, and I, you know, maybe it's just a generational thing but I'm so used to books and, I, and magazines and I love the weight of them and the smell of them. I, I can tell you a book by its smell sometimes. And yeah, I mean, magazines, it's just, there's something about taking them with you as you're getting your hair cut or take, you know, having them on the subway that is just different. And I don't think that will go away completely.
0: I agree. I was I, picked up InStyle, which I happened to get like when I was getting batteries or something. And it was literally like this thin. I mean, I can't, it's, it was like a, a centimeter. And I was like, I felt like InStyle used to be like the thickest doorstop, you know, and now it's just like this little sliver, like a pamphlet or something. Anyway, very sad. But anyway, back to the book. When you were talking about outlining and how you did it for this book and how you're doing it for the next book, I wanted to get like maybe a little sneak peek at what the next book is going to okay. be about no okay you don 't have to uh, you know i 'm so just starting it, so it I, you don 't have to it, okay. it 's about
1: giving up a child and what what does it mean to give up a child and how do you do that, and how do you go on with the rest of your life after you 've done that and that 's a really broad stroke, but there's something that made me think about that and have i 've been wondering about that
0: wow that 's intense. You have a lot about motherhood and especially in this book, and the ambivalence that comes with motherhood and you know, I'm going to get the names wrong. I can't keep any of the characters' names (laughs) straight. And this is the other problem with not having actual books is that if I had it next to me, I could flip it open, but instead it's like a document. And so I can't even refer back. But anyway, in the beginning-
1: Geraldine is the mother.
0: Geraldine is so resentful of her daughter for taking away basically her beauty and the je ne sais quoi that she kind of has with men and the potential of her life. And- she talks about how she doesn't really like her daughter. And her husband is sort of appalled by this. And she just says over and over, you know, like, get, you know, get out. And then I couldn't believe when the opportunity came that she was like, oh, this is great. My daughter should work at this inn. Like, goodbye, age 15. You know, we don't need you anymore. I mean, now I feel, I did send my son to boarding school. So maybe it's like, (laughs) I hope I don't fall in that bucket in any way. But I don't think she was doing it because it would be better for the daughter. She was like, and she even said, like, wouldn't the house be so much better without our daughter? And the husband's like, what? <laughs> you know, the house would be better if you weren't angry all the time. Tell me about, like, that aspect of it and this whole, like, maybe having a kid is just not the best thing vibe. Well, first of all, you should
1: know I've never had children. So I think my fascination with motherhood in all of these books is what would it be like if, and in this case, it would be like, geez, what if you had a kid and you didn't like it? You know, and this, uh, she starts, she has the kid early. She's young, she's very young and beautiful. And I thought, I've known young, beautiful women to have children. And I wonder how that feels. And I wonder if it feels like an intrusion on their sexuality and their, their view of their beautiful selves. So in every, I think in every book I've done, there's been a different version of a mother that I wonder about because I've never done it. So, yes, I think that's an astute observation. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Especially now, if your next book is about losing, it's like having to lose a child. Oh my gosh. Anyway, it's interesting though, to write about something over and over that did not happen, right? I feel like in talking about themes that you are trying to avoid, now you've fallen into writing about the thing that didn't happen. I wonder why, like, what is it about?
1: That's one of the beauties of writing. It's one of the things I love about writing because I'm so curious about many things, and this, particularly this last book, Lost Souls, really had none of my, pretty much none of me in it. And mm. it's great to it's it's why I love journalism because you get taken to places that you've never been or to experiences you've never experienced, and you get to sort of wallow in them and see what it's like. And I guess it's like being a voyeur, and I, I think I've always been intellectually a voyeur. That's why I was drawn to journalism in the first place. The book I wrote before, this one was called We Were Strangers Once, and it was about the whole immigrant experience. And I am the child of immigrants. And my parents were German Jews, and they never really would talk to me about their experience. And so they're both gone now, unfortunately. And I wrote that book, putting myself in their heads and trying to relive what that was like, because I was curious. So it's it's the best I can do sometimes when I want to know something and I want to figure something out. It's the best I can do is try to write about it.
0: And did, for that book, did you go through records and history I and did, documents and yeah, all that too?
1: So much. And I read everything and I found papers of my parents that I'd cleaned out. And I really, I really, really tried to recreate them. I mean, the characters in there are not them, but there are many different, there are about seven different characters and each one probably has an aspect of them. And in the book before that, I also dealt with an immigrant situation and I found a photograph of the synagogue that had been burned down in Germany where my parents were married. And it just forced me to write a whole wedding scene that I was able to project them into. So it's a great way to get at stuff you can't get at any other way for me.
0: Wow, that's amazing. The power of writing. And did those, the sort of underlying issues to bed for you too? Like, did you wrestle with their inability to talk about what happened? And then this was the answer, not to be so formulaic, but... Oh,
1: that's a good question. And my father was always very angry. It was He was an angry fellow and he was angry with me because he felt that I never really understood what they'd been through. And in a way he was right, because I really tried very hard to be an American girl and to move beyond that. And it was only after they died that I really delved into it. So yeah, I think it was um, it was helpful for me, and it, it answered those questions. You know,
0: well, it's hard to. Uh, I wrote a whole paper in college about being like the child of Holocaust survivors, and like the whole ream of effects that the children inherit when they yeah. have a parent who can't, by nature of what's happened to them, be as fully accessible as other parents. And it's just wild to.
1: Yes, and I'm sure I, I'm sure you could never. I mean, I felt that I got as close as I could get to it, but I'm sure I didn't get to the heart, you know, absolute heart of it, because how could I? But I tried.
0: Wow. So where do you like to write? Are you you seem to be in like a Um, living room you write at home or? I live in New York City
1: and there's a wonderful library. You probably know it. That's New York Society Library Mm -hmm. on 79th Street. And they have on the top floor is a writer's room. And I have this beautiful schedule worked out before all this happened. Usually I'd like go to the 92nd Street Y and swim or take a class and work out some of my anxiety, which is, you know, impressive. And then I would go and sit at the library. You sit at just long tables and you plug in your computer and nobody really can't talk in there. You can't do anything but write. And it's a very, for me, it was a wonderful place because you have the illusion that there are people around, even if they're not talking to you. But you also think, I can't spend too much time on eBay because they'll notice, you know, I, <laughs> not that anybody was looking at what I was writing, but it was, it really kept me kind of focused. And I'd spend most of the day there writing. Now that the whole pandemic thing has happened, I'm writing at home. I'm sitting at the desk where I write and it's perfectly nice, except that I have a dog and I have a husband and sometimes they communicate with me. <laughs> and so that kind of breaks things up, but I'm happy writing at home too. It's, it's lovely here to be here.
0: And you mentioned quickly that while you love writing, that the publishing, you don't love quite as much. What's the major hang up in the publishing world that you, or what do you, what is it you really object to? Or Oh, it's just, you never feel you're
1: doing enough or, you know, even if your numbers are good, they're never good enough. You know, it's just the self-beating up part that I seek to take part in. <laughs> <laughs> so I've gotten very good at not reading. I don't read numbers and I have my husband read reviews usually before I do. So I can't get my feelings hurt like that.
0: No. <laughs> Do you have any advice to aspiring authors aside from having their husbands read their reviews uh, for them?
1: Yeah, actually, <laughs> keep at it. You know, I think that it's just it's like a sport. It's like anything. You don't, you know, just keep at it, write every day. And even if you cross it out. And one of the things that that helps me very much is when I write, and I'm particularly now like when I'm starting something, I think just write whatever you want to write. No one's ever going to see this. You know, I never think that I just, I really believe that no one will see it. And so I'm ready to show it. So just keep writing and, and don't, don't be judging what other people are going to say, because chances are what you're writing right now, they're never going to see anyway. So just keep at it and do it for yourself and, and really write from the heart. I, I know people who write thinking what's commercial, what will sell I've never been able to do that. Maybe that works for a lot of people, a lot of people, but really write from your own, either your experience or your questions or your longings or whatever. Just just be true to yourself on that. That's what I think. Love it.
0: Well, thank you. Thanks for coming on, Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Thanks for (laughs) helping me for years, decades now, being somebody that I've, just always looked up to. And it's just so great to have another book come out by you and to be able to be a tiny piece of your publicity tour and all the rest. So well, okay. thank you. it's
1: always good <laughs> to see you and talk with you. And you're doing great. You're doing great work. Congratulations. Thank you.
0: Thank you. Thanks. All right. Have a great day. <laughs> okay, <laughs> okay. Bye. Thanks again for listening to my podcast, Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. If you liked this episode, please follow me on Instagram at Zibby Owens and at Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books and sign up for my mailing list at zibbyowens.com so you can always hear about the latest things I'm up to. Thanks a lot. Thanks so much to Rockets of Awesome for giving us a discount of 20% off your four times a year boxes. Uh, Rocketsofawesome.com slash books and discount code books. Thanks so much to Steve and Ryan at Texture Sound for the sound editing. And thank you to Morning Moon Productions for providing this fantastic intro and outro music. Thanks for listening. You could always email me at zibby at zibbyowens.com.